We're going to continue on on this, on this um, series that we've been looking at about running our best lap yet. And, but just before we start, the Bible said in, in Hebrews chapter um, 12, verses 1 and 2, and this has been our foundation scripture, that, that we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. And those are those people, those, those heroes of the, of the Old Testament and even of the New Testament who have gone before us, who have run their race well. They fought the good fight of faith, and now it's our turn. But we are surrounded by that witness that in the heavenly places, but even in the Bible, it tells us of these people and, and what they did and what God could accomplish through one person, through one man, through one woman, when they would just believe the promises of God and live their lives based on the promises of God. And it says that we should run this race as set before us, knowing that there is this witness behind us, but that we should run it without burden, without sin, without the weights that held us down. And it says in verse 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Jesus is the one that inspires us to faith. Our faith is based in him, and he is the one that authors that faith. He, he inspires us, and he perfects that faith in us. But it's about looking unto Jesus today is what I want to look at. And just based on what Sandy was sharing just now, I really felt, I really just wanted to digress before I get started, because it made me think of that account in the Gospels when Jesus was with his disciples, they were in a town, and there was this account where a woman was caught in adultery. Now, why it was just a woman by herself, nobody knows. How that happened, I don't know. There must have been two of them. But the woman was caught in adultery, and she was dragged naked through the streets by these religious zealots, by these the religious people, dragged her, shaming her through the streets, bring her to Jesus to try and find fault with Jesus, and secondly, to stone her to death. And they say to Jesus, Lord, we have caught this woman in the act of adultery. What do you say we should do? Trying to find fault with him. And you probably all know the account, but Jesus didn't answer them at first. He stooped down and he wrote something in the ground. And eventually he stood up and he said, you who are without sin, let you be the one who cast the first stone. And the Bible says that they all went away, one by one, the oldest first to the youngest. Because if you've been through life a little bit, you know that you are not without sin, no matter how hard you try. And they all departed, and the woman was left standing there, and Jesus looked at her and said, Woman, are you still standing here? And, she, and, she, and, and, and he said, Go your way and sin no more. To me, that is a picture of the grace of God, and that's what I want to tell you about today. I want to talk about the grace of God, the mercy of God. We started, a, it was a month ago already, the last time I spoke, and I really can't get away from this aspect of, of running our best lap yet, but running it at rest. And so I want to pick up on what I started last month and, and continue it on today because I feel like we haven't even tapped into it yet. So I'm sorry for all of those of you that were here last time. You've probably forgotten what I said anyway, so don't look at me like that, right? You don't even remember what I said. So I'm going to say it all again, not all of it, but I have to start at the beginning again, all right? Otherwise, the end doesn't make sense. So bear with me. Um, if you're anything like me, you've got to hear something a few times before it sinks in anyway, okay? So bear with me today, all right? So Romans chapter 7 and 8 are the main text to, for today. And 
we see this incredible, I mean, Romans is one of the most amazing books in the Bible. The, I, I love the Bible. I find the teachings of the Bible rich. They, 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 they bring meaning to life. They, they, they give me understanding, and they, and they bring depth to my life, and I love it. And Romans chapter 7 and 8 are, one of, are two chapters within one of the most amazing books in the Bible. And we've got this man, the Apostle Paul, we know him as. Used to be Saul, went around persecuting the church, had his Damascus Road experience when he was on the road up to Damascus to go and persecute the church up in Damascus. And a light came from heaven, a voice from heaven. He fell off his, 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 his donkey or whatever he was on, and he was blinded for a number of days. And God changed Saul's life from that day and he became known as the Apostle Paul. And this man went on to write two-thirds of the New Testament. I say that because the point is this. It doesn't matter where you are today. It doesn't matter where you've been yesterday. When we turn to Jesus, all things become new. And God can take us, regardless of what we have done in the past, where we have been, what our intentions were for the future, He can take that the moment that we come to our senses and recognize that He is God and that He is the only way forward for me, all things can become new. And so Paul, he writes these two chapters. Now, bear in mind, he wasn't writing chapter and verse. He's writing a letter from, to, to the Romans. And he's saying, from Rome rather, and he's saying, um, in chap so we get look at chapter 7 and 8, and in this, he's, he's, he's a, he starts describing how, in chapter 7, he starts describing how he's trying to live this life, that he wants to do well for God. He, he, he wants to, to do what is right, and yet he's, he finds the, this great difficulty, this inability to do what is right in his own ability, and I think we've all been there. I mean, how many times do you think, oh, why did I say that? I wish I could just keep this mouth shut. I wish I wouldn't react like that when they provoke me. I wish, I wish. We can't always do what we want to do. And, and Paul's going through this in, in Romans chapter 7. And so just a few verses just to, to highlight where he's at. And then he goes into Romans 8, which is now the antidote. This is now the fix for it in Romans 8. But in Romans 7, he says, he says the problem was this, was in verse 8, he says, there was sin, it is sin in me, which produces all manner of evil desire. Remember this. We'll come back to this verse just now. And he says, For the things that I'm doing, I don't understand. But what I will to do, that I don't practice. But what I hate, that I do. And like I was saying, we all miss it. We, we all do things. We all say things. We think, oh, I thought I had that under control. And now I'm going to ah, set it again. I wish, I wish I could be better. And he says, verse 18, I find thing that... Uh, sorry, how to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good, I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do. But the evil that I will not to do, that I practice. And he says in verse 24, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? He says in verse 25, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And I think we can all relate to that, that, there, that we are unable unable rather to do what is right in our own ability and that is the christian gospel you were never meant to you were never the the, the the christian life was never intended to be lived alone 
It was never intended to be able to, to be done out of your own ability and goodness. That is why God had to send a Savior for us. That is why God had to step into the picture to save us, because we couldn't save ourselves any more than a drowning man can, can grab himself and, and save himself in the water. God had to, had to do something for us. And so we dive into, into Romans chapter 8. And bear in mind now, this, like I said, this was a letter written. So the people reading the letter would have, would have read the, the background before he got into Romans 8. We're just going to dive, dive, dive straight into Romans 8. And it says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Okay, I just read all of that just to put, put a bit of context there. Okay, Romans chapter 8 verse 1, Romans 7 rather, Paul's described how he, has, he cannot live this life in his own ability. The things I want to do, I cannot do. The things I want to do. I'm unable to. It's all about me. And then he goes into Romans 8, and he says there is no condemnation. But as yet, because, as yet it does not make sense, we need to go down to verse 3, and then we'll come back to verse 1. Verse 3, it says, For God has done what the law couldn't do. So where we were failing in Romans 7, where we were failing, unable to do this, God has now done. Because the law weakened by the flesh couldn't do it. And he says, By sending his own son, in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh and order that. So we'll stop there right there because he starts talking about why he did it. But he describes how what God did. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. Full stop. That's, that's what God did. What did God do to set us free from this dilemma that we're in where we wanted to please God and serve God? What did he do? He sent his son and condemned sin in the flesh in his son. Some straight, that one sentence, that is all that God did. Now we know that, that Jesus was crucified for us. We, we read the accounts in the Gospels, how we can, you can find it in, in Psalm 22, that, that it was a messianic psalm. And read it for yourself sometime. It's right before Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. You'll find that easily. Go back one psalm. Psalm 22, it's a Messianic psalm. It talks about how Jesus would be crucified 2,000 years later, by the way. Hundreds and hundreds of years before crucifixion was even uh, came about as an instrument of torture and death. They described how Jesus would be, his hands and feet would be pierced and nailed to a cross. It was prophesied thousands of years before his birth. And so we know he was, he, we know he was, he was brutally uh, crucified and put to death for our sins, that, that he stood before, before um, uh, the, 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 the religious rulers of the day and, and, and he was judged and they couldn't find fault with him so they brought false accusations against him and they found him, they found him guilty and he was crucified and he died. 
But the Bible says that it's appointed to man once to die and thereafter the judgment in, in Hebrews chapter 9. And you can look at that for yourselves later. Hebrews 9 tells us that it's appointed once, to man, once unto man to die and thereafter the judgment. When Jesus hung on that cross, he gave up his spirit. He had said, it is, it is finished. He has paid the price. And in some, in some way, it, he then went from, from that death on the cross to standing now in judgment. And I can't imagine what, what, what it looks like in reality, in the true spiritual reality. So I have to bring it back down to what it would look like in, in my terms of reference. And, and I put that into like a courtroom drama. And I think, what happens in a courtroom? You've got the defendant standing there, and I can imagine Jesus standing there. He's died. He's been crucified, and he's died. And now he's standing in a place of judgment. He's in the dock. And the prosecutor says to him, are you the one they call the Lamb of God? Because remember, Jesus didn't die. Jesus wasn't crucified because of what he had done wrong. He was crucified and died because of who he was. Do you remember John, in the beginning, John the Baptist, he saw Jesus walking, and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God takes away the sin of the world. That is who Jesus was. And when Jesus stood in that dock, in that, in, in, in that, in that divine dock, in, 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 in that heavenly place, that was the charge against him, that he was the Lamb of God. It wasn't for anything he'd done wrong. Does this make sense? Does it make sense? He, he, it was because of who he was. Are you the one they call the Lamb of God? Yes, I am. Do you understand the charge against you? And there's that charge sheet, right? And as we read it in Romans 7, it's, it's sin and every evil desire is written on that charge sheet. Charge after charge, sin and every evil desire. Everything that I could do wrong, that any person could ever do wrong, that was the charge sheet. Do you understand the charge against you? Yes, I do. How do you plead? Guilty. Condemned. Jesus paid the price for us in there and then. And in eternity, in that celestial courtroom. Let me just read Hebrews 9 to you. It says, in verse 27, 9, 27, and just as it, as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, so this is referring very much not just to us, but to Christ, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time. Christ stood in that dock. Christ was judged for your sin. And now when you read Romans 8, chapter 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. It makes sense. Because justice has been satisfied in Christ. You can't charge a person for the same sin twice or for the same crime twice. That would be an injustice. Justice has been satisfied in Christ. There, sin and every evil desire, no matter what you've done, no matter where you have failed, whether it was intentional or not, no matter what it was, you can go before God, according to Romans chapter 8, you can go before God and you can say, I've just fallen, this, is, this was what I did. And you can go down, you can scroll down and find Sin 536, point A, Roman numeral 3. That was me. That's what I just did. It's done. It's paid for. There is no condemnation. God is not going to judge you for what you have done wrong. Church, you know what? This is not an opportunity to think we now live a free and loose life that is just the grace of God. In, in fact, God has now raised the bar. 
He's raised the bar. You see, before it was about what I did, but the things that I did wrong. And you could go and offer a sacrifice for something you'd done wrong under the, under the old covenant, right? That go, the blood of, a, of, a, of an innocent lamb would be slaughtered and that blood would be applied and God would pass over my sin because we could have a relationship because the, it was a type and a shadow of the Christ to come. We, we, sorry, we don't have time to go into the detail, but, but there was a sacrifice that could be made. We are now under this new, this new and better covenant that we have with God. It's called a covenant. It's a legal binding, a document, an agreement that we have with God. And, and he says that there is no longer a sacrifice that can be made. Sin has been judged. But it was judged in Christ. You no longer can go and make a sacrifice. Well, there is no sacrifice you can make that's acceptable, and there isn't one that's required. All you can do is come before God, submit yourself under the hand of God, run to God, not from God, and just say, Lord, I missed it. I missed it without defense, with, without excuse, just, just trusting in the mercies of God, knowing that Jesus paid the price for you. You no longer have to fix up your act before you come to God. I mean, come on. I, I think we're, we're all human, right? We all try our best. And yet, when we all fail. We all make mistakes. We all sin, sometimes even purposefully. And, you know, I'll have a sip of water. We're in a semi. And I love my neighbours because God tells me to love my neighbours and I want to become more like him, so I, re I really try, right? <laughs> but that can get really noisy, especially like on a Saturday night when I'm trying to prepare and get ready for a Sunday morning. But Sunday morning, I get up bright and early to make the teas and coffees at half past six. And I start grinding coffee. And the temptation to take my coffee grinder right to the wall and grrr, to wake them up in the morning because they've kept me awake all night. It's so overwhelming, I'm telling you. But the point is this, is that we have all sinned. We all fall short of the glory of God. But there is nothing that, that we can do but come to God as we are as we are. God, God desires truth in the inward parts. You know? He desires mercy. He desires truth and mercy. And he says in his word, he says, let your integrity guard you. Be guarded by your integrity. I tell you what, if you want to walk with God, be guarded by your integrity. Integrity is what you do when nobody else is watching. Because this is where you come to God. Not based on Oh, I feel rotten. I've, 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 I've messed up, so now I'm, I'm not even going to pray for, for until I feel better. And sometimes it can be hours or days or even weeks before we come back to God again because we've been feeling so, so guilty. That's just a form of penance. That's just a form of another form of sacrifice, making ourselves feel guilty. I reckon, uh, this is just my Chris Hoskins philosophy, right? It's not even a doctrine, right? It's, just, it's probably just wacky. But that word sorry, I absolutely hate that word sorry. <laughs> now, I believe in having a, 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 an attitude of repentance, you know, and where, yeah, I am sorry towards God when I sin. But the, that word sorry to me, if I say to you, sorry, I'm sorry I did that, the, the minute I say it, I start going back to what I've done wrong and I start replaying it in my mind. And the problem is, if I enjoyed, <laughs> if I got a kick out of what I did to you, it's going to, that, that same sin, that same enticement is still going to be there the minute you replay it and you're going to end up caught in the cycle. God says to us, when you sin, just walk back into his presence 
and we saw there in Romans chapter 8, he says, in order that the righteous, verse 4, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. God wants us to start walking in His ways. Start walking according to the things of the Spirit. Set our minds. He says here in the next verses, He says, For those who live according to the flesh, set their minds. Set your minds on the things. You know, to be spiritually minded, to, 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 to walk in the Spirit is, is not some mystical thing. It starts with setting our mind. Set your mind on the things of the Spirit. Not, not the things that indulge the flesh, that, that gratify the, the fallen human nature, but set your mind on the things that gratify God. Jesus said in Matthew, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Set your mind on the things of God. And he says, for those who set their minds, uh, for, for to set the mind on the flesh is death, because it will lead to death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. You know, we do live in a time when the modern, I call it the modern church, and I'm not knocking the modern church, I, I, I'm not knocking the church, I love the church, I do love the church, it is Christ's bride, right? But there seems to be an a imbalance, and it's very good that we have, you know, with, with every truth, it's like that, it's like that uh, tent pole, you know, you, in order to keep a tent standing straight, you have to have guard ropes equally pulling it from both sides, on either side, and they've got to be of equal tension. If you get an imbalance, the whole tent goes over and it's going to get blown away. And with, with every doctrine, there has, to be, there has to be balance. And so, because God has told us that we are to live by grace, we live by faith in His grace, right? He, this grace, this, the, the grace is the fact that He freely gave us His Son. He, he went to that cross in our place. All we have to do is believe Him. That's His grace and our faith believes Him and receives that, right? But it's not, it's not an excuse to just live crazy lives, to live life anyway. And it is so important that we come to this place of, of living our lives with integrity, to, to living our lives, bringing them before God. And it is, a place of, it is a place of vulnerability. It's becoming vulnerable before God. You know, the, the Bible says that, that God, God uh, um, resists the proud, but, but, but makes place for the humble. This is what that humility is about. It's about humbling ourselves under the mighty hand of God. It's about trusting Him, trusting in His unfailing love, trusting in that what Jesus has done. So Romans 8.1, There is now no condemnation for you in Christ Jesus, because justice has been satisfied. It is done. And God has saved us for this. Why? So verse 4 says, so that, in order that, the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. You see, the, the law had all of its external, superficial things about behavior, what we did. But there's a righteous requirement, like a holy, like a holy purpose. The holy purpose, the, you could call it the spirit of the law, like little s, the spirit of the law, the purpose of the law might be fulfilled in us who set our minds on the things of the Spirit. Because just like, just like we read there, oh, sorry, how I shared at the beginning, just that thought of, of Jesus, how when his, his response to that woman caught in the act of adultery, he didn't, he didn't say stone her to death. He didn't say, you're condemned. He said, go your way and sin no more. 
That is, that is the Spirit of Christ. And God says in Romans 8, verse 20, 29, that He has predestined, predestined those whom He foreknew. So whoever, whoever He knew would receive Jesus, those whom He foreknew. He predestined you and I to be conformed to the image of Jesus, to start becoming like Jesus, to learn of Him, to become like Him. That is, that is who God is. God is a God of mercy and grace. And He wants us to learn His ways and to become like Him. And, but in order to get there, we have got to walk with Him. In verse, in verse um, where should we go? Verse, verse 15. But you have not, uh, for you have not received the spirit of slavery to adoption back to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, in order that we may also be glorified with him. You know, you and I don't have to go to the cross Jesus, Jesus went to the cross. You don't have to be scourged. You don't have to go through the same sufferings in that sense as Jesus. But in order to live this life, there are hardships to be endured. You have got to take the rough with the smooth. Life isn't just a bed of roses. Orders, but there's thorns in the roses, right? You, we've got to learn to walk with Jesus no, no matter what we go through. In just, just, just a few verses later, I don't, think we've, I don't know if we've got it there, but it says... Um, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? And he carries on later and he says, nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. And that's great as a big picture. And I can take that word and I can just say, yes, amen, nothing can separate me. But you know what, if you look at each of these things that he's describing here, tribulation, shall tribulation, and, and the point of this is separate us. What shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, tribulation is like what the, our brothers and sisters are going through in Ukraine. People of Ukraine are going through. They're going through great tribulation, war. The, their basic human needs have been removed. There's people in Mariupol that they haven't had fresh water, they haven't had food or heating or the, the basic necessities of life. This is great tribulation. And when a human being goes through something like that, there, there is something that happens inside your soul that is, that is very personal, that is very personal, that will isolate you. You know, if you've ever been, well, let's look at the others, distress. Distress is like great stress, right? If you've had lots of stress on you. I mean, if... if if you've ever, if you're like me, right, you go to, I know some of you, Amy, you've got busy jobs. I find with, with too much activity, my brain, I really battle to shut my brain down. And there, there can be times at night, if I wake up in the night, it can take me a long time to get back to sleep because my brain kicks off and it just starts going, not necessarily stressed, but just kicking off all the things that I've done, all the things that I've got to do tomorrow, and, and the brain just goes. And I tell you what, I, I can lie there and think, oh, brain, just be quiet, be, be still, I lay hands on myself, I do everything, brain won't be quiet. It just takes time to calm down and go back to sleep again, right? And I'm lying there, and, I'm, and, and there's my wife, gentle lady, snores as the ladies do, you know. Everybody else is sleeping, the lights are out, I'm the only one that's lying there. And you know what? What shall separate me from the love of Christ? I feel alone. 
I feel alone. I don't know, it's the songwriters, I, I want to become a songwriter because they all say, it's in the darkest hour that I hear you singing sweet melodies over me. I don't. I feel alone. I feel isolated. When you're in trouble, deep trouble, when, you, when you're in pain, a couple, a number of years ago, I, I put the disc out of my neck. And man, I was in absolute agony for months. I, I lost the feeling in these fingers of my hand. Yeah, I went down my arm. It was horrendous. My wife supported me, but you know, she felt for me. She was, but no, there's something really personal about it that isolates you, that makes you feel isolated. Nobody can share in what you are going through. When you are in deep stress or any kind of stress, you're the one that's got to pay the bills. You're the one that's got to get up and do that presentation tomorrow. You're the one that's got to get up at five, get to the office, make sure you're up because now you want to get your contract renewed and you've got to do this. It's personal, it's on you, it's on you. And there's something about it that, 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 that wants to isolate us. All these things. Persecution, I mean, if you've ever been persecuted, even a workplace, people find out you're a Christian and things don't go so well, you get isolated. And, and it's a famine, I mean, come on, try fasting for a couple of days. See, see, what, see how your body talks to you and see how, see how alone you feel, see how isolated you feel after no food for a couple of days. You think you're going to die, you know? Nakedness. I mean, nakedness, you're talking about being vulnerable. Vulnerable. When, when, when somebody, somebody uh, who, who's not a friend finds out your weakness and exposes your weakness, you are vulnerable. You feel very isolated. And God says that nothing, nothing can separate you from his love. He says that, you know, we are counted as sheep for the slaughter. But, he says, but in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. He says, for I'm sure that neither death itself, death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nothing present, nothing to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else, and all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You know what? We can live victoriously in this life. We, we can live free from sin, not perfect. We'll never be perfect this side of eternity. But the minute we mess up, we come straight back to Jesus. Don't run from God. Run to God. Know that your sin is, is, is there. It's on, that, it's on that charge sheet. Jesus paid the price. And you can run to him. Set your mind now on the things of God. Just, just, get, just come back to God and say, Lord, I just want to go forward with you. I just want to go forward with you. I want to live for you. I, I don't want to live like that. I can't change myself. I'm not even going to try. And trust him because he has predestined you to be conformed to his image. He will change you. All he wants is your willingness. All he wants is your willingness. You cannot do it alone. Don't even try. Don't even try. You're, the moment you try, you're guaranteed to fail. You're setting yourself up for failure. But what you do want to try, the Bible says, make every effort to enter into his rest. The effort that you want to make, put that effort into entering his rest, to entering into his grace, to entering into his forgiveness. Allow him, allow him just to wash you and to cleanse you. All right. Um... John's Gospel, the third, in the third chapter, we see Jesus talking to a very religious man by the name of Nicodemus. And this man comes to Jesus by night. 
because he's a, one of the religious people and the Jews were, were trying to find a way to, to entrap Jesus. So he didn't want to be seen. He comes to Jesus by now and he says, good master, tell me what must I do to be saved? And Jesus says to him, you, you won't even see the kingdom of God unless you are born again. Unless you're born again. In order to go from that Romans chapter 7 of trying to live under a, a, a religion or a way that makes yourself better to God, there is only one way, and that's to come to Jesus and allow him to give you a new start. He, he, says, he, says, in his, he says in his promises that I will never cast away anyone who comes to me. He says, if you come to me, I will give, I will give you a new, a new heart, for a heart of stone, I will give you a new heart, a heart of flesh, and I'll write my law on your heart and, my, and in your mind. He will write his law within us so that we can walk in the Spirit, so that we can, we can know the way to go with God. We can live by our integrity. We can choose God's way, or we can choose to go our own way. We can. It's, it's not the right way to go, but because if we do, like Christ, we will experience after death will come judgment. And then you will have to stand in a place of judgment by yourself. God doesn't want you to take that path. He doesn't want you to take that path. He wants you to take the path where, that he's already played out for you. You see, Jesus went as that Lamb of God. Just like, just like a milkman delivers the milk, but he's not made of milk, right? <laughs> so that the Lamb of God took away the sin of the world, but he wasn't made of sin. There was no sin in Jesus. He himself was pure and spotless Lamb of God. So after he'd been condemned, God could raise him from the dead because Jesus himself was still righteous. He was a just man. He had done nothing wrong. God, God could remain a just judge and still raise Christ from the dead. But you and I, not so much. We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We need to throw ourselves on the mercies of God.